0: Locked on NBA, your daily NBA podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome to another Monday edition of Locked on NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts. I'm your Monday host, Jackson Gatlin, also host of Locked on Rockets right here on the Locked on Podcast Network. Today, we'll be chatting with John Corrales from Locked on Celtics as the Boston Celtics fall to the Golden State Warriors in game two of the NBA finals. What went wrong for the Celtics? What went right? And what do they need to adjust as the series shifts back to Boston? Then we speak with David Locke from Locked On Jazz. The Utah Jazz head coach, longtime head coach, Quinn Snyder is reportedly stepping down from his position. How big of a loss is this for Utah? What does this mean for the future of guys like Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert? Lastly, we chat with Philip Rossman reich from Locked On Magic. As the Orlando Magic have the number one pick in this year's NBA draft and therefore will dictate how draft night plays out is jabari smith the guy for orlando at number one or could it be someone else is there a possibility we see orlando trade out of the top spot as always appreciate you for making locked on nba your first listen each and every day today's episode is brought to you by bet online bet online has you covered this season with more props odds and lines than ever before bet online it's where the game starts Joining us now live from the Bay is John Corrales from Locked On Celtics and Locked On NBA. You can follow on Twitter at John underscore Corrales. John, this was a two point game at halftime and Mm -hmm. death taxes, Golden State Warriors third quarter (laughs) runs put this game away. Final score 107-88 here in game two in the Bay First off, how much of, of Boston's struggles to you were, were, were self-inflicted, especially over the
1: course of that third quarter? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I think a, a lot of what Boston did, what, what cost them was self-inflicted, you know, 33 points off of turnovers for the Celtics. I, you know, I said this with Cyrus when we did our crossover episode. I said it on my podcast a ton. This, this series comes down to which team wins the points off of turnovers in any specific game. Whichever team wins that four times wins this series because they're both high turnover teams. They're both teams prone to doing this. And the Celtics did it a lot in this game. Uh, and, and look, in that third quarter, five turnovers for 11 points. So it's not just turnovers. It's the live ball turnovers. It's the steals. It's all of that stuff. You said two points at halftime. I'll do you one better. Six points with four 4.15, 4.17 to go in the third quarter. So the Celtics took the hit from the Warriors and responded somewhat. They they did well enough to be in the game with four minutes to go in that third quarter. And then it was just curry, curry, pull. You know, like, like it was just one after another after another. The Celtics' problem is once they start turning the ball over, they don't stop. They just, it just keeps cascading. You talk
0: about it, right? You know, being able to kind of weather that initial punch early in the quarter. And then it just, it, towards the end, just, you know, kind of everything falling apart a little bit there. The, the storm just kind of coming from the Warriors. How much does that speak to the depth that this Boston Celtics team is kind of facing when you look at the Warriors? And yeah, they've got their starters in there with Steph and Clay and Wiggins. And then you've got a guy like Poole that you can bring off the bench and keep the heat coming that mm-hmm. the Celtics are having to deal with.
1: Well, yeah, but not only that. You you know you saw new elements in this game. You saw Gary Payton II come in. You saw Manya Bialica come in, and and make their contributions as well for you know little stretches here and there. But it's just a different element, a different style, a different person that you have to say, oh, okay, we got we got to account for this guy now, and that that's that's meaningful. That's one of the strengths that the Warriors have because those other guys are so good. You know, Draymond, who was. Uh, very active and very much an instigator in this game knows how to play with these guys. Steph is, is Steph and, and Clay, even though like these guys aren't exactly what they used to be, but those three guys, you surround them with certain role players and Hey, one, one day, it's, it's two, two guys. And one day it's two different guys. And you have to account for that in the Celtics. Certainly, I think we're, I don't want to say thrown off, but it, it, they had a tough time dealing with that. Possible silver lining here in this game.
0: Jason Tatum, 28 points, eight of 19 overall, shooting six of nine from, from deep. Uh, a far cry, you know, significantly better than the three of 17 performance that he had in game one, at least as far as like just getting the ball into the bucket. At least, is that at least one positive takeaway that the Celtics
1: can have from this one? Yeah, i would be honest with you, Jackson. I thought he played better in game one. And he just didn't, he just missed shots. I think he hit shots, like he hit some open shots and hit some tough shots, which obviously is a positive. When when someone's not shooting well and then they come back and they find their stroke, that's important. But I think what Tatum, you know, Tatum also had four turnovers and they were all live ball turnovers, and two of them led to Steph Curry three-pointers. So he he got caught in that same, you know, mix of problems that, that have cost the Celtics – a bunch in in throughout the playoffs. I think Tatum, my number one thing for Jason Tatum is he needs to stop playing like this is Milwaukee and Miami where those two teams protect the, the rim at all costs. And I think he's spent a month trying to go through tricks and jump through hoops to try to, you know, grift four fouls and try to get to the line because you can't score at the rim against Milwaukee, Miami. The Warriors will let you score at the rim. It's much easier. They don't have a ton of rim protection. He's still playing like he's playing against rim protection. So he's got to go out there and just understand that dude, you got broad shoulders, man. You're you're a big beast. You got to you got to be less Kobe and more Giannis and just go north-south and go through people. And if he does that, he'll still get the free throws, but he's going to start he's going to start dominating the series if he can just understand, "Oh yeah, I'm I'm bigger. I can get to the rim. Those guys can't stop me from getting to the rim. Uh, he can change the style of play. Go back to how we played against Brooklyn, and and understand that this this series is different. And once he gets there, I think the Celtics can can do well.
0: Yeah, the Celtics. Uh, you look at the numbers, just the shooting numbers overall. It was Fifteen of thirty-seven from three for forty and a half percent. That's Phenomenal, but then you go to the two-point shooting, just fifteen of forty-three for thirty-four point eight percent. You know they had some opportunities at the rim, but to your point, right? It didn't quite look like Jason Tatum was, you know, just
1: bulldozing his way to the rim. Maybe trying to be a little bit too creative at times, looking for fouls and not looking for the shot. That's the thing. You drive. It's it's you know James Harden can do that, but this isn't this isn't that. If you go up there and drive and you're looking for fouls and then you look for the shot afterwards, when you don't get the shit, when you don't get the foul then the shot's harder to
0: hit. You look at the other starters for the Celtics, Al Horford, just two points, only four shots, you know, a couple turnovers there. Marcus Smart, just two points, one of six shooting. I mean, how much more, I mean, obviously they need production from those guys to be better, but how much of that was just about the way that the Warriors were taking things away, taking away opportunities from them offensively to, to maybe get going.
1: Yeah. I thought the Warriors did a good job. They flipped uh, Clay Thompson onto Al Horford, which was a smart move. Um, they they put Draymond onto uh, Jalen Brown a lot, and and we saw that kind of uh, materialize in some pushing and shoving. And look, you, you play physical with Jalen, you try to get into his head. Smart. This is, this is a smart team over there with the, with the Warriors. So um, I, I do think that you know, you take away Al Horford. That's a that was an important floor spacer. And if he, he didn't even get a a look, he didn't, never never mind a shot. He didn't get a shot from three, but he didn't even get a look that he passed up from three. So they did a good job on the ancillary, uh, ancillary players. But again, when they do that, that has to be the signal to Tatum that you got to go and attack and Jalen Brown as well. But Tatum primarily because he's, he's the number one option and, and he's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. And he has that ability. So they can get those guys those open looks, Smart, Horford, everybody else, when the Celtics start attacking the rim and sucking in that defense and then start kicking it out. The Celtics did a poor job getting the paint touches in this game, and and I think they need to get back to that. If you're the Celtics,
0: John, despite losing here in game two, how confident are you having already just stolen the one game you need, you know, in the Bay from game one, you're tied up series one, one heading, you know, as things shift back to Boston.
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously that's a big positive, right? You come in, you win game one and you know, you put it out there. Hey, we can win on the road and the Celtics, the other positive for the Celtics is they haven't lost two in a row in, you know, forever. And so hopefully that can continue. Now on the downside, the Celtics haven't exactly protected home court. So you think here and you say, all right, well, the Celtics stole one, they, they got the split that they're looking for. And you go home, you protect home court, you win this thing in six, plan the parade. But the Celtics have a better road record than home record. And so they need, to, they need to make sure they take care of business at home and not relax and think, okay, we're home. Crowd's going to carry us. We'll be fine. They, they do have a, they still have that, that issue. So, yeah, it's a big positive, a big positive to go back home and understand like, hey, you win game three, you win game four, you protect home court, you do your job. Now you got a 3 1 lead and you got a, a couple more chances to, to go out there and, you know, close this thing out. But you, you still got to go out there and actually do the job. And that's a lot easier said than done,
0: unfortunately. But what adjustments will the Celtics make You know, heading into Game 3? Will they be able to protect home court as the series shifts back to Boston? You're going to have us cover for all of that and more, of course, over at Locked on Celtics. John, appreciate you stopping by Locked on NBA with me. You got it, man. Coming up, Quinn Snyder is out. In Utah. What does that mean for this current iteration of the Jazz? What does it mean for the futures of guys like Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert? Who are some potential replacements that the Jazz might be looking at? But first, a quick message from our friends over at BetOnline, because BetOnline.net continues to be your number one source for all of your betting stats and sports info. Find the latest sports developments, news and odds, including this year's basketball championship matchup, the NHL Hockey Conference Finals, Major League Baseball, and of course, the latest fighting news from MMA, UFC, and even boxing. Bet online is your continued source for all of your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and more. And right now, you can take a look at the numbers for game three ahead of the NBA finals this Wednesday as that series continues on right now. The money line for the Boston Celtics minus 115, the Warriors minus 105. So for that and more, head to their website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action available to you. Bet online, it's where the game starts. And continuing on here at Locked On NBA Monday, as always, appreciate you making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day. Right now, we have an important favor to ask of you. We've put together a survey so we can learn more about listeners like you and make your favorite Locked On podcast even better. This is your opportunity to tell us what you like and what you don't like about Locked On podcasts. Go to LockedOnPodcast.com survey right now to get started. It won't take very long and everyone that completes the survey can qualify for a chance to win one of 10 $100 tickets master gift cards. To take our audience survey, go to lockedonpodcast.com/survey. Thank you and we appreciate your help. Joining us now is David Lock from Locked On Jazz. You can follow on Twitter at dlocko9. David, the latest reporting out of Utah. Head coach Quinn Snyder, the coach with the second most wins in Jazz franchise history will be stepping down after 8 seasons with the team. Reporting says that Snyder simply decided that it was time to step away. Conversations have been amicable, all this. What first off, just immediate impression reaction to what this means for this Utah Jazz team. I know that this is a team that's, you know, faced some scrutiny, a couple first round exits in the past prior, you know, past couple postseasons, maybe some uncertainty about the futures with Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, and now Quinn Snyder out the door.
2: I mean, I think it's a really big blow. He's one of the best coaches in the NBA. You had an advantage feeling it, so you had an advantage every night at the coaching position, um, and the preparation that he and his staff had done over the years was unprecedented. Um, In some ways in the NBA, he's had a massive impact on the league. When you watch games, the plays and things that he brought into the league have, um, you know, matriculated into other teams and the way they're doing it. A lot of his coaches are around the league. I don't know that. I think it's a death blow. I think it's a big deal. Let's not minimize the, when you have a great coach, it doesn't prohibit you from getting another good coach. And the jazz franchise has two of the top 20 players in the NBA on the roster right now, and has a owner that has shown the willingness to pay a luxury tax and has, You know, one or two of the best general managers of roster building of anyone in the NBA in or one of the top three, depending, you know, I mean, Danny Ainge's track record in Boston's, you know, Pat Riley's pretty good and Bob Myers is pretty good. Though Myers has done it with one team. Ainge really built two teams that ended up in the NBA Finals. So there's a lot to still offer for the Jazz organization to whoever the next coach may be. But it's certainly a a massive moment, second winningest all-time coach behind Jerry Sloan, and moreover, the coach that kind of brought the Jazz into the next era. And I think that's what, you know, he, over the last eight years, he really reformed who the Jazz are. Was this,
0: David, to you almost, you know, an unfortunate logical next step? You're, you're looking at, you know, where can this Jazz team maybe potentially improve at the margins? you got your two-star players and Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert. And if they're content on keeping those two, like where else do you look to to make an improvement? Because it would have been another, had they, had they not moved away from Snyder, had he not stepped down, would it have just been another run it back next season and let's see how it goes again?
2: I don't think there's any chance it would be a run it back next season. This team had just too many issues. I have a hard time believing that you've gotten better by having one of the best head coaches in the league leave. But I would have said the same thing with Boston and Brad Stevens. So let's let time tell on that one over, you know, rather than in pronounce it today. Um, you know, it's going to be something new for the Jazz. Um, I don't know that I'm convinced that this was performance-based in the sense of they didn't perform as well as they wanted in the playoffs, so a change has to be made. I don't see this in that light. I see that Quinn saying, hey, they need a different voice if that's what this franchise is going to be. I see it as eight years of wear and tear, and particularly the last three have been devastatingly tiring with the COVID impact on the last three seasons. And so I do see it in the realm of I'm going to step away. I'm not sure I have the, the voice to do this. And I might need a fresh start somewhere. Um, If he was a professor, you'd give him a sabbatical and you'd put him back in charge in a year, but we can't do that in the NBA.
0: More importantly from this, David, what does this mean for the future of of Donovan Mitchell, a guy who was committed long-term to this jazz organization? There have been question marks about his future with this team. This is a guy that had a lot of confidence in Quinn Snyder as his head coach. Does this necessarily mean the, like could this be the jazz moving in a different, a completely different direction? You know, how do you interpret this as far as Donovan Mitchell is concerned?
2: I, I don't know if I think it has a, I know that's the logical next place to go. I'm not sure it has a big impact. I could make a, claim right now that I think it actually increases the chance that Donovan and Rudy come back because it'll be under a new voice. And so therefore it seems as though you now have a new circumstance and maybe it's a fresh light to who they, you know, to that relationship on the court and they'll play differently. I could make an argument that it's a sign that the jazz are turning the corner and turning the page and everyone's going to be gone. I don't think that either of those would be in all any way accurate Um, or actually if they may not be related at all. I actually think that the front office will still do what they believe is best for the long-term of the franchise, and the head coach might be just a completely different silo off to the side.
0: Do you think the next head coach coming in, whoever that – name may be which we're going to figure out here in just a second if there's any names on the market that you've potentially got your eyes on I know this news is so fresh but the next head coach what exactly would you like for this person to bring to this role that maybe Quinn Snyder was either not necessarily lacking in but just something that has to be brought in to be able to try to get the most out of this current version of this jazz team
2: you know I, I don't know if I've uh, Jackson I'm not sure I have an answer to that um you know I thought they had one of the best head coaches in the NBA for the last eight years. Um, innovative, uh, well-prepared, uh, creative, uh, always putting players in position to succeed, taking players that, you know, either on their last legs of their career or had not succeeded elsewhere and having success with them. So I have a hard time kind of thinking of what I want the next coach to be in contrast to that. It's going to be a different voice. So it better be a loud voice. It better be a well-prepared voice. I don't think the players – of the Jazz over the last eight years ever had a day where they thought that their head coach was doing anything but preparing them the best possible way to give them the best chance to win. So whoever the next head coach is is going to have to live up to that standard.
0: You talk about it being a a, a different voice. If you had to boil down Quinn Snyder and give him an an identity as a coach, you've thrown out so many of his different traits. What made him such a special head coach? Is there maybe a, a direction where the Jazz go kind of a polar opposite, kind of a different tonal shift with their head coach to try and, again, try something new?
2: Well, I think Quinn was a player's coach in the sense that he had great respect from the players and that the players, you know, understood what he was giving them every day. And there was a player development was a major part of that. Um, So, you know, the answer on that is, well, then we go to a hard-nosed coach. I I don't think that one is is the easy, you know, pendulum swing here because I don't think Quinn was soft either. So I, I think Quinn had a uniqueness in, in how much he covered this. Oh, the next coach is going to have to have their own voice and be strong in their own way. And it will probably take some ways time as it did in Boston for it to kind of sink in completely. We saw with, with, you know, with Boston that there seemed to be a lingering after effect to having Brad Stevens, who was wildly well-prepared and did things in his, in his manner before Udoka was able to kind of be able to put his stamp on this team, 30, 40, 50 games in the season, depending on whose story of when it began to take place. So I think you'll see something similar to that. This is, this is, you know, you're, you're following one of the elite coaches in the league. And I think you're going to have to have a unique voice that is clearly yours that the players trust is going to give them, you know, the best chance to win. And I think that's something that the players always thought they had with Quinn.
0: Are there any names out there right now, David, not necessarily full blown, you know, coaching free agents, but guys who might be sitting, you know, with an assistant coaching role on a staff elsewhere or somebody that you think would be kind of poised to take a crack at at this this version of this jazz team?
2: What's so interesting about this is that Danny Ainge will lead this hire and he's hired two head coaches in the league. One was Doc Rivers, former player who had coached a bunch of times in the league, but not really that successfully at that point, except for from the Clippers. And we can look back and determine what we, you know, what we think of that tenure. Uh, or excuse me, he would, this was after the clip. This was, sorry, this was he had been with Orlando and not been that successful. And then he became the head coach in Boston, won the championship, and then went to the Clippers. So I, I apologize, got that juxtaposed. His other high was Brad Stevens out of Butler, having never coached one minute in the NBA. If you can draw a line between those two anywhere, I, I don't have it. So it leads me. To have really no inclination from the individual that's doing the hiring in the past uh, of who he's planning to hire next. And both of those two moves, if you go back to them, he had a clear vision of who they were going to be, right? Brad Stevens was a pretty quick hire, if I remember correctly, and with a long contract. That, That would, I think, be the signature is that whoever this coach is going to be, when you couple it with what the Jazz franchise has been over the years and Danny Ainge has been over the years, this person's going to have a chance to have a stamp over many, many years in Utah.
0: Who will be the next head coach of the Utah Jazz? Wasn't What does it mean for the futures of Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, and the rest of the organization? Of course, you'll have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked on Jazz. David, I appreciate you stopping by Locked on NBA with me. My pleasure. Coming up, the Orlando Magic hold all the power with the number one pick in this year's NBA draft. What is the Magic draft strategy? We'll get to that in just one moment. And final segment here at Locked On NBA Monday. As always, appreciate you for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day. Free and available on all platforms. Make sure for your second listen, you go check out Locked On NBA Big Board. Host Raphael Barlow from NBA Draft Junkies and author of the NBA Big Board Newsletter is joined by Richard Stamen, Sam Ferris, and Leif Thulin giving fans an in-depth look into the NBA Draft, Mock Draft, Player Rankings, and of course, Big Boards. It's free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Joining us now from Locked on Magic is none other than Philip Rossman Reich. You can follow on Twitter at Philip R underscore O-M-D. Philip, congratulations on the Orlando Magic winning the NBA Draft Lottery. They hold the number one selection in this year's 2022 NBA Draft. and Therefore, they kind of control the direction the draft is going to go. And right now, Philip, all the reporting, all the rumors... And the betting lines, courtesy of our friends over at Bet Online, point toward Jabari Smith Junior. being the number one overall selection in this year's NBA draft. Is that the direction that you feel the Magic will ultimately go if they keep the pick? And if so, why Jabari at number one?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would first off say this: it's it's not clear who the Magic are going to pick. As as much as everyone kind of wants to point the tea leaves and, and figure things out, the Magic do not leak anything. Uh, it's 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 going to be fun when we actually find out when those players actually come to Orlando. And I think that's a really, really important part of the magic's process. So I don't think it's particularly clear where the magic are going to go. But I do think that all that there are signs, or at least it does feel like Jabari Smith Jr. is going to eventually be the pick Um, for the magic. They need shooting first and foremost. And so at the very least Jabari Smith comes in uh, and should be a, a pretty good knockdown shooter and should help space the floor for a young magic team that just needs some guys to occupy the defense when they don't have the ball. Um, but at the end of the day, too, it feels like Jabari Smith has the most room to grow. Uh, he already has some very definable NBA skills in his defense as well as his shooting. Um, and if he could kind of grow into an on the ball attacker, if he could grow into a little bit more of an on the ball playmaker, um, that's obviously uh, the kind of star player that this Magic team has has missed. And so, you know, I think I think if the Magic had to draft tomorrow, I, I'd be taking Jabari Smith. I think that's 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 ultimately where they will end up. But you know, I think there's still a long way to go in this process, and and the interview process as as all three of those guys, Paolo Bancaro, Jabari Smith, and Chet Holmgren, make their way to Orlando is going to be vital for this team uh, in their decision making.
0: You know, speaking of just really not knowing where 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 this team is going to go with the number one overall selection in our locked on mock draft, you know, ahead of the draft lottery, the final tankathon spin before the order was actually set, the spin that we used for our mock draft actually matched. The exact top three of how the NBA draft did ultimately turn out with the Magic at number one, the Thunder at number two, the Rockets at number three. And in this mock, you selected Paolo Bancaro first overall. What led you to that decision in that moment? And is that something, again, like you kind of alluded to that we may actually see the Magic do here in the real draft right around the corner? Yeah.
3: Uh, you know, the reason that I, that I was so high on Powell Bencaro uh, and I still am like, again, I, I think that the difference between these three guys is very, very small. Um, and it's, it's going to, I, these interviews that are going to be going on uh, at the Amway Center. Ah, uh, in the Magic's practice facility at downtown steakhouses here, as they try and wine and dine these these players, um, they're going to be really, really vital for the Magic in their decision making process. You know, I think I'm sure there is a leader in the clubhouse right now, but I can't imagine it's it's particularly a blowout or a runaway at this point. Um, the reason why I, I picked Paolo Bancaro and had Paolo number one on my board for a lot for a lot of time is just he screams, and the way that he plays just screams the way that stars have to play and the way that stars play in this league. He is a guy that Duke continually dump the ball to in key moments to go get them a basket, to break them out of slumps, to ensure that they win games. And again, for the most part, Paolo delivered. Uh, He has got incredible footwork. He's got an incredible scoring knack. He understands how to score, uh, how to get himself going. And and I think that's that's something the Magic really need. Um, This is something that you'll probably appreciate, Jackson. Um, The last non-center to score 20 points per game in a Magic uniform is... Steve Francis back in 2005. Um, they have not had a guard or a wing, and and I, I consider Ben Caro a big wing or, or possibly even like a stretch four. But I don't consider him a big or a center or anything like that. Um, they have not had a, a bit a, a, a non-center, so not Dwight Howard, not Nikola Vucevic, uh, be a legitimate scoring threat from the perimeter. They they des- they desperately needed that no nine. They desperately need that now. They need someone that they can get the ball to. And so, to me, you know, the question that like Jabari Smith has to overcome is, can he be that guy? Um, for Paolo, it's kind of the opposite way. It's like, well, if Paolo isn't that guy, what can he be? So, it, you know, I believe that Paolo Ben can be a uh, kind of go-to score, and, and and that's why I had him number one on my on my board. You know, obviously, I'm dig- digging into tape a little bit more. Actually, being in the seat rather than being in a mock draft exercise is a lot is a lot different feeling. I have to say, I did not expect to get the number one pick. I don't think anyone ever should. but um it, it's it it's definitely a, a big consideration, I think, to say, okay, this is a guy that I can rely on to get me twenty a night, can get me twenty five on big nights, can step up and get me thirty in a playoff series. that's that's what you expect from a number one pick and. And I think Paolo is the guy that fits that mold the best,
0: Phil, speaking of being in the seat, right? I mean, how just just how much pressure is on Orlando to make, the right pick or or to do the right thing if they don't make the selection number one if they if they are you know entertaining any possible idea of trading down or whatever how important is it to make the right move with this number one over selection and just how much pressure the organization is kind of under with this or is it there's an e- is it an easier pick to be at number one uh you know I, I would say i would say it's both honestly it's it's easier to be at number one
3: because you have all the choices in front of you you have no one to blame but yourself and on um, personally I'd rather be able I'd rather be able to blame myself than say, oh, you know, like under Rob Hennigan, the Magic were fourth in the Joel Embiid, Andrew Wiggins, Jabari Parker draft. And, you know, some people might be thinking, like, oh, well, that 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 choice now looks obvious. But at the time, that felt like a three-player draft. The Magic ended up fourth. They got Aaron Gordon, and they're, you know, they essentially tanked for two years to be in position to win that lottery, to be in a position to draft one of those three guys. That was a very celebrated draft class. Uh, and the option was taken from them, you know, by the lottery taken by them from them by other players. I mean, even last year's draft, it was considered a four player draft, you know, with Scotty Barnes jumping into that top four, jumping into that top four late. Um, but when the magic landed fifth, it felt like a, a knife through the heart to say, oh, you know, you know, Scottie, I, I mean, at the at the time, it felt like, uh, you know, Scotty Barnes doesn't fit really what we need, but he might be the best player. We got to just kind of figure, figure things out to have the choice and to have that power. Um, yes. It, if Jeff Weltman gets it wrong, if he gets it really wrong, if the guy that he picks isn't a, a star player or isn't a key player for this team, it's probably going to cost him his job. So there's obviously pressure there. You got to get this pick right. And, and like I said, I think all three of these top guys are widely considered top guys. Um, I don't think there's a problem with any of them. It's 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 there's, There is no bad choice in my mind, um, but there's pressure to get that get that part right. But at the same time, it's your choice. You've got to trust your draft process. you got to trust uh, your decision-making process and trust that you're going to end up with the right conclusion and, and a conclusion that you can live with and be successful with. And at the, at the end of the day, it's about your player development and, and your ability to put a team around those guys and make them successful. That's going to prove you right in the end.
0: Having mentioned this now, maybe a couple of times just in passing through our conversation, but what what would it ultimately take to get the magic to budge from the number one overall pick and trade down? I know that you've mentioned that you know, th- these at least the top three guys, the three bigs are, you know, possibly very incredibly close as far as like how you're evaluating them, you know, from a talent perspective, Um, you know, would the magic potentially be in a position to want to recoup an additional asset? If, you know, they don't see the mar if the margin is razor thin between these three guys and they think they can trade down to two or even three with Oklahoma city or with Houston and, and, you know, pick up an additional asset and still walk away with one of the three guys. Is that something you think is in the cards for them at this point? You know, I I think it would have to be a a big offer. Um, you know, the Magic as a franchise do have some
3: experience in trading the number 1 pick and, you know, back in 1993 Orlando won the lottery uh and drafted everyone expected them to take Chris Webber. The Magic didn't need Chris Webber. They had Shaquille O'Neal. And so obviously there's a different situation where they already had what was very clearly a generational talent and and a superstar in their rosters and All-Stars are rookie um, they could, they could kind of play around with the draft that way and say, okay, let's make sure, let's go get the, let's, let's see if we could play the draft to get the guy that we really want in, in Penny Hardaway. Uh, and they happen to have this like absolute right condition where Golden State was desperate to get one of Chris Webber or Sean Bradley. Um, they wanted Chris Webber that year. And so the joke that Pat Williams, the former magic general manager, or the magic general manager at the time said was when I mean, Golden State approached him for to, to trade for the number one pick uh, they they asked what would it take and he said give me six first round picks um, as a joke. Um, they eventually settled on three. Um, so to it's it, to get the number one pick is a a big 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 ask and and especially in a draft like this where there isn't a clear cut number one where there is a lot of debate. Um, you know certainly the magic could say well could play it like Boston did a few years ago with with Markel Fultz and Jason Tatum and say the guy we really want is Jason Tatum. Let's play everyone's interest in Markel Fultz. Uh, against them to to extract some more assets, but by the same token, I don't think Orlando can be cute here either. Um, you know, Orlando—they're already pretty loaded with young guys. Um, if anything, they need to get a veteran and 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 to to you know to trade the number one pick to trade down, maybe to get the guy they want wanted all along. Uh, they uh, to me, I would say they'd have to get some draft capital for sure. But they probably want a veteran, and to me, that would be more of a signal of we believe that our team is ready to compete for something bigger um then people expect us to compete with we believe that we are a play-in team or the expectation is to be a play-in team at minimum heading into next season and I just don't think the Magic are there organizationally yet so I would I would anticipate unless a killer you know three future firsts you know very little protections or you know like a really good veteran player that really kind of accelerates this rebuild in, in a significant way that would be the only way for me that this this team moves off the first pick and, and they'll they're they're you know, any of those top three guys, want, they can rationalize it very, very easily. I don't think anyone would blame them for taking that. So I, I don't think they need cover to to say like, hey, our guy was actually Paolo Banqueiro and we took him first. Like, I think people would accept that.
0: What direction will the Orlando Magic ultimately go with the number one overall pick? Will they make the selection? Will they surprise a lot of people by not taking Jabari number one overall? Will they trade out of that number one spot? You're going to have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked on Magic. Philip. I appreciate you stopping by Locked on NBA with me. No problem. Thanks for having me on. That's going to do it for another Monday edition of Locked On NBA. As always, appreciate you for checking out the show. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Google, the Odyssey app, free and available on all platforms. Also, be sure to check us out on YouTube. Just go to YouTube, search Locked On NBA, like, comment, and subscribe. But as always, thank you so much for listening. We look forward to having you back right here at Locked On NBA Monday. Biggest stories with the local act.